Section 12 of Uncollected Stories of L. M. Montgomery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marcia Epic Harris. Uncollected Short Stories of L. M. Montgomery by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Section 12 The Children's Garden. Come with me and see the children's garden, said a dear old lady with lovely silvery puffs of hair and bright dark eyes to me once. I knew that all her own children were long ago grown up and scattered from the Atlantic to the Pacific and even further, but I also knew she had many grandchildren who loved to spend the vacation days at the old homestead, and I went with her expecting to see, perhaps, a little plot of ground somewhat untidily cultivated by childish hands, with straggling beds of gay-hued annals, so that when I really found myself in the garden, I stared. Is this it? I said. Miss Adair nodded. Don't dare to tell me you don't think it is a lovely place, she said. It was a lovely place. Had it been in front of the house, one might have called it a lawn, but being where it was, it was just a garden, a lovely, quaint, unworldly old garden, where trees and flowers and shrubs grew at their own sweet will in orderly confusion, just inside the gate, which was arched over by twin lilac trees, were two huge clumps of tiger lilies, like gorgeously bedight sentinels on guard. All around the enclosure, which was about two acres in extent, ran a double row of trees of all kinds, apples, pears, and plums, mixed up with white birches, branching willows, tall poplars, and even a big pine in one corner. Trees were scattered here and there all over it, and between them ran winding paths, bordered by shrubs and old-fashioned perennials, peonies and hollyhocks, foxgloves and bride's bouquet, sweet william and bleeding hearts, and a score of others. It was like no garden I had ever seen before. It was quite the sweetest and most delightful, with all the charm and distinction of really lovely old, old things. It's a place one might dream of, or in, I said. It has grown through the years. I hate brand new things, but a children's garden. Mrs. Adair smiled. You expected something different, didn't you? But this is really my children's garden. Let us sit down, and I will tell you about it. We found an old stone bench under a couple of big willows, where lilies of the valley crept about our feet with their spikes of fragrant bells. You are quite right in thinking this is a garden that has grown, said Mrs. Adair. Forty-eight years ago, my little first-born son was laid in my arms, and his father said, I've just bought the two-acre lot from Moore, wifey. We can have it for a garden, and I'll go out and stick a tree down in honor of the air. You see that magnificent willow across from us? That was Frank's birth tree, and the beginning of our garden. It just went on from that. For every baby that came to us, a new tree was planted here. That big apple tree over there is Llama's tree. The rowans on the slope are Allen's. The hedge of cherry trees on the west side were planted by his father on the day Rodney was born. Each of my ten children has a birth tree here. Then. Whenever the anniversary of a birthday came round, it was commemorated by a tree. 
Of course, some of the birthdays were in winter, and we had to wait until spring came to plant the tree, but it was always selected on the day itself. As soon as the children grew old enough, they did their own planting. Little Tom was only three years old when he toddled home from the woods with a pine sapling and put it in the corner there. It was a few inches high. Look at it now. Twice, death came to our home and took one of our babies away, but we always remembered their birthdays just the same. When the children, one by one, grew up and went away to school, we marked their vacation homecomings by some addition to our garden. When they married, we did the same thing. And to this day, whenever they come back to visit the old home, they bring something for the garden in memory of their visit. Charles is a missionary in Japan, you know. He brought and set out those Japanese maples the last time he was home. Many of them bring rare trees and shrubs now, and they are very beautiful. But I think I love best the old-fashioned things which my boys and girls planted and tended here long ago, when they were little lads and lasses and blouses and pinafores. Nowadays, the grandchildren have a share in it, too, and every vacation visit leaves its souvenir here. We have never tried to keep up any formal arrangement. It was an unwritten law that anyone who planted anything here should just stick it in where he pleased. We fell into the habit of commemorating our children's successes in this way. For instance, when ten-year-old Teddy carried off the prize for general proficiency in his class, he planted one of those clumps of tire lilies at the gate, and twelve years later, when he graduated from college, leader of his class, he came home and planted the other clump. So you see, my dear, this old garden is just our family history, written out in a script of leaf and blossom. Everything in it has some treasured memory attached to it, sweet or sad or merry. Edith planted these lilies of the valley here on the very first day she was able to come to the garden after a long and dangerous illness. Millicent planted the honeysuckle by the trellis on her graduation day, and that big white rosebush came from a little slip in Sarah's wedding bouquet of bride roses. Do you see that big circle of snowball trees over in the center of the garden? with the two tall silver poplars behind them. My husband and I planted the poplars on our silver wedding day, and the children planted a snowball each. Next year we hope to have our golden wedding, and something more will be added to our garden. Last year, when our eldest grandson came home with the soldier boys from South Africa, he planted the Pardeberg tree. You see it? That little maple sapling behind the poplars? The boys ran mostly to trees, you know, and the girls to flowers. When I come here, all the past seems to live again for me. I wouldn't exchange this rambling old garden for the most beautiful lawn in the world, my dear. I shouldn't think you would, I said. Why, it's sacred, and the whole idea embodied in it is one of the most beautiful I've ever heard of. End of Section 12 Recording by Marcia Epicharis